So I'm starting to realize that Brandon Braga episodes are kind of a double-edged sword. How so? Well, I've always said, like, oh, anytime there's a Bragg episode, I know what I'm going to expect. There's going to be a, you know, cool set piece. It's going to be a mystery. It's going to be... And to the same degree, every time I see a Bragg episode, I know exactly what to expect. It's going to be a mystery. There's going to be a cool set piece. Like, I liked this episode very much. I, I did. Um, timescape. Timescape. Um, to a degree, though... I'm starting to get slightly diminishing returns on him. Okay. Um, again, not that, you know, this was a very good episode. I enjoyed it. It was, you know, creepy in the right spots. It had a good, it had a good beat and I could dance to it. But, um, I don't know. I, I, this also wasn't maybe one of the standouts, especially compared to what the episodes we've had for the past few weeks. Okay. So. I think that, that this episode has a really cool concept. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think um, I was reading on Memory Alpha that, that Brennan Braga, one of the things he, he wanted to do with this episode is sort of uh, top uh, the last time he did sort of a time travel episode with cause and effect. So, you know, sort of conceptually, and I think on a production level, this was a very difficult episode to pull off because you have people going backwards and forwards yeah, yeah, yeah. and frozen and all these kind of things, right? And and you have to have a, I mean, a lot of this, you know, hinges on having a scene which looks completely different from what it turns out to be. Right, exactly. So so it needs to appear to be one thing, but yeah. and it ends up being another thing. That's all fine. I, I like this episode as yeah. well. I've always remembered this episode fondly, mostly because of how different it looks from the rest of the show. Yeah, I can see that. And especially the scene that always sticks in my head, or the, I guess, the tableau, <laughs> to use the proper French word, um, is is the, the Romulan shooting Crusher, because that is a very striking yeah. scene. Uh, I mean, all of them. It's the... Enter- it, it looks exactly like the Enterprise being destroyed by Romulans. Right. I mean, it's this freeze frame. It's this literal freeze frame picture of it, and it's terrifying. You know, to see you know what what what, what the destruction of the Enterprise looks like. Anytime the Enterprise blows up, it's terrible. Yeah, and this is what the third time it's blown up. I think. <laughs> So I guess, yeah, and I, I feel like the thing with Brandon Braga is that, you know, we talked about him uh, a couple weeks ago and we talked about Frame of Mind. And, yeah, I, I it's funny that you're sort of flipping on him so quickly because I think you had really grown to appreciate yeah. his stuff. And, I mean, now you're sort of getting lukewarm on well, it already. A little goes a long way, I will say. Because... Well, they have been sort of doing a lot of these. I, I, yeah, I like his episodes because they are so different from the rest of it in tone and what happens in that he usually takes a character and puts them in a different situation. Um, I like his episodes when they are a departure in a way. In other words, when the characters are dealing with something even a little more difficult or a little worse or a little darker but i like the normal tone of the series in other words they work better when they're a deviation rather than when they're the norm i I think that's a good way to put it and that's actually something that i've been sort of subconsciously thinking about and now that you bring it up i'm consciously thinking about it is that the sixth season we talked about this a, a few weeks ago but it really is the season where they got very experimental and yeah, I think that I'm I miss just kind of a regular episode. Yeah. We haven't really had one in a long time. And so I I just kind of miss that sort of let's just go out and see what's going to happen kind of thing and we haven't had that in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. at least a season or two. So yeah, I I wonder if the Brown and Braga episodes in this season and especially in the last say half of the season 
there was schisms, there was frame of mind, there's timescape. Uh, I think there's one or two other ones that I'm missing. That's a lot of the 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 the, the Barkley one. Yeah, the Barkley one. Uh, fear, uh, uh, fear of whatever. Fear of teleporting. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it is diminishing returns to a certain degree. And I think that, you know, if there's one thing that I would caution you about, it's getting too invested. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I think it's sort of getting too invested in Brandon Braga as, as sort of the unmitigated uh, uh, excitement level. Um, I, yeah. think, I think it's starting to wear off a little bit. Yeah. Because, you know, Timescape is... It's got all the pieces to make a really good episode of Star Trek. Uh, you know, you have a, a very interesting mystery. It's very visually striking. It features some characters that don't necessarily get a lot of screen time, like yeah. Troy and Jordy. I mean, Troy in both episodes this week has been awesome, and she's been awesome lately. Again, once she put her real uniform on, Troy got great. I really like where Troy's been this season. Yeah, no, I do too. I think that they've I don't think that they've figured the character out necessarily. I don't think that the but the writing has been better for her and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, perhaps Marina Sirtis was becoming a little bit more involved. Yeah. I don't know. Um but yeah, I agree with you. I think that she's very good in this episode. I think Jordy's very good in this episode. And Picard's even good in this episode because Picard sort of he's he's not I mean, they really p- in charge. Yeah, and I mean, they even show Picard like that scene with, you know, with the cloud, and he draws the smiley face. I mean, it's it's number one a funny scene, but it's also like one of the most disturbing scenes in the series because Picard is going crazy, right? I mean, it, it's, and it's 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 resolved very quickly. Yeah, and you know they explain why, but at this at the time, um, I mean, it's a very shift. You know, again. Picard doesn't go that nuts. Picard always keeps himself together. And if, you know, Picard can't handle something, then it's very dangerous. You know, it's if the captain's showing weakness, then we're scared. Yeah, I think so. And I think it also, I mean, partly I think that's there just to sort of add some stakes to the episode. Yeah. Um, because if they could sort of, you know, wander around the Enterprise, uh, you know, f- just kind of uh, at their leisure until they were able to fix it, then, of course, we wouldn't have much of an episode. Yeah. But now that we have this kind of idea where they can only stay over there for a few minutes at a time, that, that does heighten the, the, the tension, I think, in the episode. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, then Jordy gets to participate for a little more because now he's not the mission control and Picard becomes and all that, you know. And I really like that moment when uh, Troy, like, pulls the bracelet off and puts it into the uh, other time, you know, to save Jordy. I like that moment. I mean, that's a very nice – like I said, Troy's been doing a lot more, and I like seeing her very decisive. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think that you know, I guess one of the one of the the, the nice cappers to the episode, of course, is that you know Troy is the one who who pushes um, Crusher out of the way and saves her, yeah. and you know I think she's kind of the one that sort of figures out what's going on. And- yeah, and she also had, you know they she she they specifically say, oh, you've been on the Romulan ship before, you know, and she knows to, you know. This is another one of those episodes that it makes a lot of subtle connections to earlier scenes. I mean, she's even plexing at one point for a minute. You know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to mention that at one point. I loved point. that. You know, you know, the, they mentioned Davidia too from Time's Arrow. That was – yeah. So they do have a lot of nice little callbacks and I think that – again, we've talked about that in the past and we don't need to go into it again. But I, just the way that TNG does continuity, I appreciate yeah, and I think that the nice thing about mentioning her experiences with the Romulan ship in Face of the Enemy is that I think it really 
indicates that the crew is respecting her. And it's not that they didn't respect her before, because, of course, they did. But they're respecting her in a different way. I think they're respecting her more as a like a fellow crew member as opposed to a psychologist. Well, they always knew that she was a great psychologist. Yeah. And she was a good asset to the team, but yeah, she's doing, she's getting better at field work, frankly, and she's accomplished more in field work. You know, she was briefly the captain and she did fine. You know, she's get, she's been given more than she would have based on her position, maybe been expected to do. Um, but, done it all well and you know is frankly getting more to do because she's handled it all yeah yeah and i think at the end of the day of course sort of the 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 sort of realization or the the revelation that these are sort of aliens that are living outside of time or whatever the hell is going on and you know again it's sort of a just a, a deus ex machina to kind of get out of the episode yeah, yeah, yeah. but i guess it's kind of interesting that it's the offspring i mean you know it's kind of like okay this is nice and everything but i'm not really sure what exactly was going on again like, it's your t- which is your typical braga thing you know yeah which it sounds good i mean like usually he does enough where he you know evokes a concept of an alien so you know in this case you know they're beings outside of time and they nurse their young in wormholes like that's cool okay that that's something strange and you know unusual and again if we after the show have to think you know think about the implications and it doesn't quite add up well that didn't matter when we were watching and it's still a pretty cool concept anyway yeah i think this is definitely one of those episodes that that watches better than it does talk yeah and i'm not saying that to say that talking about it makes me like it less i just think that again with brown and braga episodes once you get to a certain point you know, there's not a lot behind the surface. You it's know, not a deep episode. We're not going to get any real meaning. Well, his it. episodes are all surface, really. I mean, you know, he, he does get the characters okay, and he writes them fine. But I don't think that his his skill and his forte is, is characterization. That's not his wheelhouse. And so, you know, it, it, that's the one thing I think that, again, you know, before we were talking about how we sort of missed old TNG. Like, I think that's one of the reasons I miss it is that the the character stuff is just yeah. not there. I mean, we, you know, when we talked about second chances and rightful air from last week, uh, that those were very very meaty episodes about two characters yeah. that we really like, and so now we're getting back into that sort of thing again. Where, yeah, it's 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 a circus basically. It's visually interesting. I mean, Adam Nimoy directed this one, and he did a very good job. You know, there's a lot of really interesting shots in the episode. He does a really good job with... uh, There's one uh, uh, shot in particular, which is the first time that um, Troy freezes, and sort of the camera zooming in on her face, and then then suddenly Picard's... You hear Picard stop talking, and then his hand is waving in her face, and it's this unbroken shot. It's really well done. You know, there's stuff like that. There's the scene where where Picard is reaching into the bowl of fruit, and he has to yell because it's, you know, his hand started getting older than the rest of his body which of course would hurt um and and just all of the logistics about people walking backwards and people walking forwards and yeah. having having to get actors freeze the set pieces of the enterprise you know just frozen again it has to look like the romulans are invading but it also has to not be the romulans invading and it has to Again, there's a completely innocent explanation for everything. You know, that one Romulan was helping Riker up. You know, he was firing and he missed. Um, Which is a little... I mean, that was the thing that made the least sense to me because that's quite a miss. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think he's lying. 
Well, I thought, you know, I th- what I thought happened was he was firing at her. She froze time and, like, moved, and then I don't know. Who knows? I don't the know. The point is, um, I mean, I really like the way that they use Romulans almost as a complete red herring in a way. Like, yeah. the second you hear Romulan distress call, you think, okay, it's going to be another of those damn, those pesky Romulans, you know. And then when you see the one... You know, Romulan who turns out to be the alien, you know, unfreeze. Well, remember the episode when everybody else was out of phase uh, with, uh, what was that, uh, Jordy and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. and Ro. Um, yeah. And the there next was a, phase. Yeah. And were. there was a Romulan who was able, who had technology that he was outside of that. So you think, okay, well, this is, again, the Romulans did something. They made time freeze and she's able to, you know, which turns out to not be the case. You know, you... I think it's nice that it turns out to genuinely be an example of Romulan Federation uh, cooperation. Well, I actually think that's a really good point in that the show has sort of trained us, if you've seen all the other episodes, yeah. to expect a certain thing. And, you know, to Brian and Bragg's credit, it is the sign of a, of a good talent that he's yeah. able to come up with new riffs on this stuff. You know, because you like you said, you look at it and say, okay, this is like the next phase. The Romulans are doing something. Oh, wait, no, they're not. It's something else entirely different. And so he's not repeating himself, Yeah, which I think is a good thing. And I think it's one of the things it, – it's a trap well, that he could very easily fall into. I will say he, he – he definitely respects the next generation and respects Star Trek because, I mean, you he is putting all of these little references to other episodes and things that happened and riffing on stuff that happened and, and using. Uh, I mean, he he, he wrote Aquiel, right? Yeah, with, yeah, that was that, that was, was another one that we mentioned. Yeah, and that I, was co-written with Ron Moore, but yeah. But I remember in that episode, you know, I was saying, oh, they, th- you know, because based on. Earlier episodes, you know, I expected one thing of the twist. Like, he's good at using earlier episodes to as red herrings. And that, you know, that shows that he knows that, okay, you've been watching this show for years, you know. You know what to expect, and I'm going to work with that. I mean, that that that's one thing I like very much about it. If it's... If it's it's a different tone from the rest of the series, maybe, but not because he's tone deaf about it. But because, you know, I mean, this is... Maybe it's something different. Maybe it is his own personal style, but he does still like Star Trek, and I. No, I definitely, and I mean, I think that that you know we're talking yeah. we're talking a lot about Brian Bragg as opposed to talking a lot about Timescape, but you know, come on, um, which is what we tend to be doing, which is what we tend to do. But yeah, I, I think if there's you know, and we definitely again we'll talk about Brian Bragg a lot more when we get to 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 sort of later seasons of Voyager and especially Enterprise, but. Yeah, the man does love Star Trek still and lo- and respects it. I mean, he shows up at conventions every year still. You know, I, I think that, that, again, he does get a bad rap. I think that uh, he is the kind of writer that writes a certain type of thing yeah. very well. and uh, But at the same time, he needs a... I, I don't want to get into psychoanalyzing him, but it strikes me that he did his best work on The Next Generation, and perhaps I'll leave it at that. Because from everything that we've talked about and everything that I've read the next generation writing room and Michael Pillar's tenure on the show specifically made it seem like the kind of show that people just loved working yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the interesting things as well as we haven't talked about this, but you know, Michael Pillar did not run this season of the show. Oh, okay. Um, it was Jerry Taylor because Michael Pillar was off doing deep space nine. Okay. okay. So it, it maybe that's why the show is kind of different this season, because of course there's someone else who's in charge of, of actually breaking, you know, breaking the story. Yeah, and yeah, say, yeah. You're going to write this. You're going to write this. You're I mean, that, write that, this. that's what happens, you know, just to get, all right, it's my run on the show. I'm going to do something different. Yeah. Right. 
So I think that that's all fine, right? I think it's all fine. This was a fine episode. I want to. I do want to talk a little bit about data in this episode, though, because they've been doing s- kind of intriguing things with him this season, with yeah. birthright, and then again with his little speech in Rightful Air about how he sort of was going above and beyond his programming to yeah. decide he wasn't just an android. And now in this episode, he's what trying to induce boredom. <laughs> it's interesting. Like they're kind of pushing at the seams here a little bit with him and his characterization, I think. In that he's still really interested in kind of pushing up against the limits of what he can do. But he's not imaginative enough to just turn off his internal clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I liked that it turned I like that it ended with that little extended scene almost. Like that was almost a weird coda to the episode, but and actually forgot it for a moment, but I mean, it's interesting because he – Data is at once more than and less than human. Damon, Data is fully a person. You know, we don't disagree with that at all. But um, he is not completely a person because, you know, he doesn't completely have emotions in the way that he wants to. He doesn't right. quite understand certain things and all of that, you know, which we Which know. will come up in Descent. But he is also more than human in that he has this, you know, more capable brain. He has he has a chronometer again. That that's that's one thing. And I think the it's interesting how at the end the suggestion for how do I become more human is for him to become less of himself in a little way. Like he needs to to some degree. Get, you know, in other words, humanity has a price for data to achieve humanity. He needs to pay a lot of a price and. There are certain things that he's a, that he does or is capable of or that he – ways that he looks in the world that he has to give up if he wants to become human. And I think this episode is introducing that, you know, this is what you need to do. You know, if you want to know what it's like to be bored or have a different sense of time or, you know, not have a precise sense of time, you have to get rid of the part of yourself that does that. Yeah, but I don't think that he... – But it doesn't say a limit him. I mean I don't think it's like a – bad price to pay well and i don't think that he's going to do it though i mean i think he'll experiment with it but yeah. i don't think he's going to keep it up full time uh, you know and that's kind of maybe the the, uh, the the most interesting part about it is that he's very willing to experiment with very basic parts of what it means to be data but at the end of the day i don't think that he's going to keep his internal clock off all the time no because it's too useful. I mean, they. Well, it's useful. I mean, he and, jokes at the end, like, don't be late for your shift. But, you know, the fact that he has a extraordinarily precise internal chronometer is why Data is never late for his shift. Well, I think, yes. But I also I also wonder about, you know, maybe he'll he's going to be able to, you know, turn off the internal chronometer when he's in a boring meeting, but leave it on when he's having fun or something. You know what I mean? So it's like he's got kind of the best of both worlds there in a sense where when he's wrapped up in something that he's enjoying doing, he has the ability to fully like realize how much time is going by, I guess, you know? And so, but at the same time, it's like, is that a good thing or not? I mean, it is kind of, uh, that's one of the reasons why having fun is fun. (laughs) 
Do you know what I mean? Like, because you don't know what I mean. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, just no. Think about when you're when you're doing something and you're having a lot of fun and you don't know how much time is going by. That's that's an enjoyable experience. Yeah, and then when it's something that's not enjoyable and you don't know how much time is going by and then you realize, oh shit, it's only fifteen minutes. Exactly. You know? So I think that that there's an ambiguity there, which I don't know the data is going to necessarily even be interested in. Hmm. So they leave it alone. I don't think they revisit it. And I think it's just kind of a nice little coda to the episode, as you say. But again, you know, he's pushing up against the limits of things. And whether or not he's ever going to fully become human, whatever that would even mean for Data, um, I think it's interesting that he is more willing to sort of experiment like that. I mean, he's sleeping now, too. That that was the other thing, is that he's, you know, at the end of Birthright, he's decided to sort of turn himself off for a few hours a day. So, and, and sort of induce these dream states. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I think that, that he is kind of figuring out what parts of humanity he wants and what parts yeah. of humanity he doesn't want, in a sense. He's still trying to figure out what it means to be human. I mean, this is, I feel like a lot of this is going to make more sense, you know, talking about in context of next episode. But one of the things I... I know very little about transhumanism, but it's talking about essentially what, you know, augmenting, you know, augmenting the definition of humanity in a lot of ways. In other words, is me with a biotic eye still human, you know, if right. I can see more than. Um, so Data's coming at that angle, kind of fr- that question almost from the complete opposite angle. In other words, you know, how does he, you know, transhumanism takes, you know, the basic building blocks of humanity and talks about what we can add or change and keep humanity to that. Um, Data's starts off as fully an android and is wondering how he can attain humanity. Yeah. What it what he needs to add or take away in order to get into that state. Both are very deliberately questioning uh, and very, you know, specifically questioning the meaning of humanity and what do we define as human and is it solely a biological you know is there a you know and and all of that um like i said i find it interesting that it comes from a from a different angle than normal yeah i think that's true so it's kind of like trans androidism basically all right i think the last thing i want to mention about this episode before we move on to descent is what the hell were they doing on that dinner table scene? What the hell weren't they doing? Like, what do you mean? Uh, the actors are just indulging themselves. To oh, large yeah. Degree now. Like Troy's doing voices. Picard's doing impressions. <laughs> it's all fine. I, I mean, guess, I but... think it's cute that the episode began with them all making fun of their professors. Like it was again. We, you know, it's nice to see Picard on a peer level with everybody else. Cause you know, no matter when, again, he's always the captain. We've talked about this. He always has a little bit of distance, but it makes me wonder what was in that tea he was drinking, you know, something I'm sure there was some nice Irish whiskey in there. Um, Irish whiskey, French whiskey. Yeah, so I think that, you know, there's, that's kind of... A, I mean, I only mention it because, number one, it's weird. And number two, it indicates that the actors perhaps are getting a little bit more sway in the <laughs> performances writing than they I really be, feel, again, because... Comes, comes to a head much later and not in a good way. So I'll just leave it at that. But Oh, so there's one episode that's just Dr. Crusher dancing for like 40 minutes. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> something like that. Oh, God. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Um... What I you- mean, like I said, the fact that there is that longer introduction and that coda with the Riker and uh, Data, I mean, I almost wonder if the episode did run short, you know. I could see it running short. Yeah, I mean. 
uh, to at a certain point it's like okay i get it now let's let's figure out how we're ending this yeah exactly and you know i don't feel like th- i felt like you know what they showed of the episode the plot of it it was it was exactly as long as it needed to be you know sure. in other words like i i it was funny enough seeing them do their impressions of people we've never met. You didn't need another five minutes of them wandering around the ship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fair. You know, and, yeah. and it started it on, again, it starts on such a, you know, light level that, you know, again, even the way that the first, you know, time freeze happens, you know, when he's in the middle of the story and he, you know, it even starts it at the middle of a longer pause and you just think he's pausing longer than necessary. You know, it takes yeah. even Troy a second to... So and you get to see that cool sweet runabout. I like the sweet runabout. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Which has a transporter on it and everything. Yeah, what a day. Well, the shuttlecrafts do too. Really? Yeah, they do. All right, I will give this episode uh, six Five bowls of fruit. Bowls of rotting fruit. Okay. Let us talk about descent. Something tells me you're not a fan of this episode. I'm not. Why not? I like it. now. Oh, now again, okay, we we've. Talked about this a lot for the two parters. The first episode I always tend to like, and the second one is always let down. So maybe you're on some of that. Uh, well, I mean, because I kind of liked this episode. I know we're gonna the next episode is a lore episode. I know that. I know I'm already settled in and ready for it. But there was only lore for thirty seconds in this episode. My problems with Descent are numerous and vocal. I. I think that this is the first step in a long trip that Star Trek as a franchise takes towards ruining the Borg, number one, because they were very careful not to reuse the Borg. And when they brought them back last season with iBorg, it was a very, very good episode, which which found a completely different angle on, on the concept of the Borg and ran with it and sort of looked at every single logical permutation of that concept. And then Descent comes, and it is a direct follow-up to that, we think. We're not sure. Yeah. But all of the menace of the Borg is completely gone. I don't think that the characters yet know that the Borg are not all that dangerous, but it seems like they do because the episode is making it out to be that the Borg are not that dangerous. Well, this is a... Bu- I would say they're, they're, they're a bunch of ragtag rebellious... Again, he says they're like fighting Klingons, but... They've been fighting Klingons for, you know, decades. There's no sense of danger here. There's no sense of malice. Actions that the characters take absolutely make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, Data's entire plot line is nonsensical. Oh, yeah. The end of the episode is like a comic book. and (laughs) The Sons of Song. I mean, what the fuck? Like... (laughs) <laughs> Lore, I am going to destroy the Federation. Like, is he Lex Luthor? What, I'm ready for. This? I'm ready for Coast. I'm at this. I will say, no. Like, I, I, I didn't mind. I liked this episode to a degree. Just defend because, it. Defend it. I, I, not, but I can't say it's a good episode. But I didn't like find it a offensively bad episode. It was enjoyable enough, but. Um, there are germs of good ideas here, and I wish that they yeah. had gone with the germs of good ideas instead of what they went with. I mean, they're obviously, again, and this is the problem that we've talked about with every single two-parter season ender, aside from Best of Both Worlds, and I think Redemption, which was also yeah. very good, is that there's no reason for this. And it is, this is, this more than anything else, because this is the last, you know, this is the last season yeah, cliffhanger, yeah, yeah, yeah. because of course the next season is the last. So this is so blatantly calculated to set up 
the the next season's opener. I mean, it's just it's it's mind boggling and incompetently th- done. Like, how are they going to get out of this one? I know. I, I Picard, mean, Picard makes a weird decision that he's like, we're just going to send everybody down on the planet and leave the doctor in charge. <laughs> what? What sense does that make? None. Why is he doing this? And it is so obviously just a blatant attempt to create suspense and a cliffhanger for the next season where, you know, Picard and whoever the fuck is in the, the, the super friends lair with lore and, and data and, and all the Borg and they've got their they've they've got a logo now, which is great because they're branded. So they they have learned the lessons of the twenty first century. I thought century. that was really cute. Actually. They are twenty first century Borg. They have a logo. <laughs> um, and and so now we have a tube thing where it's like, what's going on on the Enterprise with Crusher in charge, and what what's happening down on the planet with with Data and Lore, and they all have the Borg, and they're all here, and and they're all captured, and it's like, what? Where I thought they were gonna go with this episode, and. Maybe it would have been too obvious a and thing. And fucking Stephen Hawking. And Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein. I mean, they got a lot of good guest stars on this episode. Um, you know, th- this is just the show just abandoning all pretense of restraint. Well, we talked about how you know Braga, as different a tone as he does, he respects Star Trek. It always feels still like Star Trek when... Maybe this is does not feel like Star Trek. Maybe this doesn't feel respectful to that. I mean, I think about what you've yeah yeah. I mean, the Borg always have seen preach it. Hey, uh, it does bring the Borg down in that they're just any group of evil aliens that's captured the crew. You know, they anytime we've seen the Borg, they were this gigantic, incomprehensible enemy that we couldn't understand their motivations and we didn't know how they were constructed and they were like nothing that you know we learned before and over the past you know seasons we've learned more about the borg they fought the borg they found them you know and they and, and that's good that's fine you know learning more you know well again though let's not overstate the case they were the borg were in four other episodes yeah i mean we're not talking about alien alien race that is as developed as the klingons or even the romulans we're talking about an alien race yeah. that's been in the show four other times and really only three because i borg is one guy yeah 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 i i mean the the, the and everybody is terrified of there being one Borg on the ship during I Borg because, you know, the Borg are such a scary, unknowable force that even one of them, we don't know what they're capable of. And I like I like that Star Trek has a has an has an antagonist that is so I mean while Star Trek doesn't really believe in good and evil, skin and evil skin of evil left behind, um the Borg were the closest the series has been able to get to an elemental evil sure sure um or something that is elementally against the federation it is the federation's opposite in every regard and in this episode it does again now we're dealing with an offshoot of the borg that has individuality and we're led to believe for most of the episode that this is hugh's doing it might be lord's doing at this point I don't know. I hate that the show does remember that lore still exists every so often, but um, at least it's forgotten Alexander exists, but that's a different story. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, like, and that's the thing, though. I mean, you know, when you say the Borg are sort of this elemental evil and everyone is completely afraid of them, no one remembers that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're just down on the planet shooting Borg. I mean, the the only one is Admiral Necheyev is the only one who seems to 
remember that the Borg are the motherfucking Borg. There's and- a, every, that's the thing is like everyone just seems tired in this episode. Like it's just, you know, even Picard pulls out his I am Locutus of Borg moment and it just doesn't seem very heartfelt at all, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, to, I mean, to their credit, I mean, I, I want to examine this version of the Borg a little more because I do think that in some respects it, it, they were trying to do something. I don't think that they were successful, yeah. but the idea of having a, a group of Borg that are infected by individuality, either from Hugh or from lore, we don't know. Um, because I think, frankly, you know, I don't want to tip any hands, but, you know, speaking solely as I'm pretending I've only ever seen this episode and ne- have never seen the, the the finale of this, I feel like it has to be Hugh because the Borg as constructed are such a, a, a powerful force yeah. that no one can really stop. And it's only by the skin of their teeth that they've been able to stop the Borg once before uh-huh. that lore being able to capture a group of Borg and do this to them would do more damage to the concept of the Borg than anything that anybody else could ever do. Because Lore, again, is a comic book villain. Yeah, I mean, I find it more... Where I thought this episode was going to start to go would be to the effect of, well, he was taught... He was slowly been, you know, using what he learned in the Federation, he has slowly been getting Borg that he can turn over to his side. And he has this group of Borg that have learned individualism and have been – have detached themselves from the collective and they're going to the Federation for asylum because, you know, they feel that they have the right to live as, you know, free individuals away from the Borg. Meanwhile, the Borg collective is hunting them. That's a much more interesting uh, thing to do with that because then you have the Federation – you know, I mean this is all about the – it's trying to be about the moral thing to do versus the right thing to do. In other words, you know, Nicheyev says that the right thing to do was to send Hugh as a time bomb and destroy the Borg. You know, it was a decidedly a moral thing to do. I think even Nicheyev would agree it's an immoral thing to do. That said, the Federation's job is to protect Federation lives and Federation citizens. And if the Borg are just a destructive force, then the right thing to do, if if saving the Federation is your goal, is to destroy them. So then, I mean, then then you bring them, again, if this is about a group of Borg who are seeking asylum at, from Borg Collective, then that becomes about the moral thing to do is to give asylum to political prisoners. But uh, the right thing to do is not to anger the Borg in a way. Right. And I think... So I get, like, I feel like, I thought that's maybe where this episode was going to go for most of it. And I, I think that your version of the episode would be a lot more interesting to watch, frankly. You know, and, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Admiral Nechev because I think that it, on the one hand, she, you know, the next generation has, uh, you know, it's certainly not gotten into the moral gray areas that Deep Space Nine gets into. Yeah. But it it very much is becoming a little bit more morally crunchy or yeah. something. And so... Yeah, again, you could see they're, they're going... This is almost as dark as TNG can get while still being TNG. Yeah, I mean, I think that the drumhead perhaps was the start of that, or yeah. at least a kind of a, the, the the most blatant example of yeah, that yeah, that we've yeah, seen yeah. so far. And in this episode, Admiral Necheyev is almost like a character out of Deep Space Nine. I mean, she's very much saying, you know, she basically says, you should have used a sentient being to destroy his species. 
And, you know, for me, while I get what she's saying at the same time for this show at this time, I think that that's a bit too far. Now, they do a pretty good job at selling it. And I think that they make a good case for it. Because I think, you know, her speech elides what Picard would actually have been doing, of course, because we've had that conversation already in Ibor. We don't need to hear it again. Uh, But... Admiral Necheyev is basically just dropped in the episode to to what to act as a as a as a, 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 a she twists a the knife. Gap? I was going to say in a way to well, she's bringing up a question that Picard doesn't have to deal is not dealing with in this episode because he's right. Well, it's almost like hey, remember that thing that you did a year ago? Yeah. That, when, well, now this happened, and you suck. I mean, it's to the degree... Don't where, do you that know, again. Basically, if this episode were putting Picard in a, in a situation where he had to make a very similar choice, again, whether it whether they capture a Borg and he wants to use it as a time bomb, whether they seek you again, and or whether it's, again, whether it is giving asylum to some Borg fugitive, you know... Th- she comes in and she says, the next time you have to make this decision, what you need to do is do the decision that will destroy the Borg. But that doesn't seem like a decision he is being led to make in this episode. And so, in a way, her presence there sets up a dilemma that, if that was what Picard was dealing with, would have been important. Well, also, frankly, it feels like a deleted scene from I, Borg. Yes! why is she having this conversation with him now? Just to rub salt in his wounds? And, you know, frankly, they're working on an assumption that may or may not even be correct. They don't know that it's Hugh at this point. And at the end of the episode, when it's revealed to be Lore, it seems like Hugh's not involved. So her dressing down of Picard seems just useless. Yeah, is it setting up something, or is it just a scene that... I mean, you said you don't know... You know, this is obviously setting up the big... We're supposed to be wondering all summer, you know, how, oh my god, what's Lore's plan? How are Picard, Troy, and Jordy going to get out of this one? You know, what's going to happen? And, you know, it's long, hot summer, and I don't know what's going on, you know, and we're talking about it, and we have our fan theory, you know. But... It seems like half of the plot of this episode is setting up dilemmas that don't actually are, aren't actually present in the episode. Right. It's not like the Borg prisoner that they get is sympathetic and kind and, you know, they, they feel bad. I mean, if that was the case, if they have this other prisoner and he's another nice prisoner like Hugh and they have to decide, well, do we use him as a bomb? Then that would be a thing. Well, again, sure. And I think that, you know, if this episode, you know, you can kind of look at this episode in a, in a certain light, which is that the Borg to a to a Borg, haha, are all just sort of malevolently mean, yeah. right? And they're all obvious. I mean, the guy is obviously interested in, in data for whatever reason. Uh, and we haven't even talked about data's emotion, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, you know, so so they've taken the Borg from being a sort of a faceless, just amorphous threat to this to the existence of the federation the the very sort of like civilization yeah. that they have def- tried to defend with their lives to a very very different examination of the borg as an awakening individual and you know star trek very much believes in the sort of dignity of the individual uh to a separate thing which is that they're now going towards the borg again as individuals but in this sort of grouping 
which again are just sort of like malevolent, malevolent I say they're for still, no reason. They're, they're not, so, yeah, they're evil for at least the, I mean, that's the thing, like, I said the Borg were elementally evil, but I, you know, that's not really the thing because they, the Borg see themselves as this is our way of life and this is how life goes and, you know, the Federation's way of life is counted. I mean, there is a degree where you understand, I, I think they, I'm not sure if the series has quite gone into this yet, but the series has at least opened the door for the idea of the Borg aren't evil, they're just an antagonist. Right. And I think that the Borg are beyond good and evil. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't think the Borg are evil. Yeah. Or, or at least, you know, because they don't know what they're doing. They're, well, it's, it's yeah, it's as evil as saying, well, you know, animals eat animals in the wild. But it's, like saying, it's like saying cancer is evil. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's just a, it's just cancer's, well, the way cancer cancer do you know that's just the way the borg do and so now it's kind of like once the borg start to awaken and start to be individual and now what they're making e- the choice to be right and what this episode is saying is that the borg are evil because individual borg are just assholes and uh, which yeah. is w- a weird choice for the show to make how does how, i mean there are so many only so many times that data can turn evil and still come back to the federation like i'm gonna be very honest like <laughs> How does he get back from this one? Like, I no matter what, like, listen, you just said we're the sons of Song and we're gonna destroy the Fed. Or like, there's, you know, it doesn't matter how like genuinely influenced by a bad guy you were. You still, you know. Well, see, the second part of this episode is actually them revealing that this is a new hollow novel that Jordy is working on. Okay, so it's all fine. Don't worry <laughs> about it. No, I get what you're saying, and I think that that is a valid point. I, I, mean, I just when I saw that, I'm like, that's that's just too big. It, it, no, it is. I agree with you. And I think that, that, you know, the end of the episode is too big and it's too big in a sort of almost, frankly, uh, uh, hilariously sort of cheesy way. Because, again, you know, Lore's been in what? Two other episodes, I believe. He was in Brothers and Data Lore. Yeah. I think that's it. Um, you know, the less Lore, the better, frankly. And wh- wh- whoever made the choice to have Lore come back, okay, fine. But... Um, why does Laura want to destroy the Federation exactly? Like, what what is the reasoning here? And I think that the episode, you know, again, it's that cliffhanger syndrome where they're really trying to come up with something that is going to make people go, <gasps> and <laughs> Data's evil twin brother, and he's got Data on his side now, right? But but but, You're, but I mean, it's surprise. I bet the next episode is going to have Troy in a wedding dress, and she has to marry Laura, and like. And she's running through a forest. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's privileging shock value over the characterization, the quiet characterization that the show has come to really rely on and be known for. So, yeah, and Lore, whatever, I mean, but I think that to a certain degree, Brothers went a long way towards maybe redeeming Lore to some degree, because in Data Lore, he very much was a comic book villain again. And in Brothers, he at least was a little bit more nuanced. And in this episode, again, you know, whatever is going to happen in December part two, we'll find out next week. But, you know, again, he's become a supervillain again. And it's like, what is the what is the show really doing here? The show seems to be going backwards to a more sort of first or second season version of itself, which is frankly not the way that I want the show to go in the seventh season. You know, all of this. I mean, we we need to talk about Data's emotion because they've been. They've been taking data to a very specific point since the beginning of the series. This obviously wasn't a completely planned arc for him. It's not like, you know, someone sat down and said, in year two, we do this. In year three, we do this. But um, 
data has been slowly becoming more human and questioning what it means to be human and rubbing up on this idea of emotions and whether he can naturally you know yeah um you know i've said this whole time he's had emotions you know here we have him feeling a very palpable physical emotion a very strong emotion which is treated like his first emotion again i don't think it is but you know and 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 frankly i agree with you but i think that this episode is the one that really goes down the road to just being like you just have to accept that that's what the show thinks and you know we can have that conversation about whether or not data has emotions but i think in terms of what the the show itself thinks this is data's first emotion and that's fine you know okay um but but isn't that kind of a bad thing though because i think that the show is doing something a bit more subtle with data and well, now that's suddenly, what i'm saying this episode kind of scuttles everything they've been doing with data this right whole time. um and also you know frankly where is this emotion coming from uh the the borg seem to be like the borg in the in the um uh, the Borg on the ship seems to be doing something with some kind of thing, which maybe is causing Data to actually feel I, this way. I, you know, we don't know, but... I mean, yeah, to me it seemed almost like a... I mean, For me, I think the reason he never really was able to replace the stimuli was because I think he was feeling anger for, you know, the people he cared about. I mean, it seemed almost like a moment of righteous anger in... In, in the scene i'm what? making a face because that is not what it is but oh i'm sorry it's not there it, turns out to be a reason yeah oh. and it's not good oh so i'm just i'm sorry ah oh. i don't want you to go down a road that because like, i was really that, good because that would have been kind of nice where it turns out that's how data begins too because he realizes that it wasn't so much anger as it was fury and terror and you know protectiveness mixed into one and damn it See, that's where that's where Data's been going this entire time. That's what this whole setup about, you know, I don't have friends, but I have people I feel close to. You know, well, Data gets I ruined. I, I'm going to be frank with you. Um, Data gets ruined as a character. Uh, this is the start of that happening, I think. Oh, no. I mean, they all sort of get ruined, frankly. I mean, you know, and, and uh, the movies are not great for any of them, uh, Data especially. And so in this episode, I mean, we'll see what happens in December two. I have not seen it in years, but you know, I have vague recollections of what the reason is and you're not going to find it satisfying. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, you know, I like, I, I can't say this was my favorite episode, even while watching it. I do hate it a little more and I do agree with all of your <laughs> reasons for it. I mean, yeah, I, I think know. I think that that at the end of the day, it 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 just feels like such a calculated misfire. You know, it's it's we're going to make a cliffhanger, and it is going to be shocking, and we're going to have characters in different situations, and we're going to have outdoor shooting, and we're going to bring the Borg back, Stephen fucking Hawking, has Ste- a like scene. yeah, like all of these things are going on. We've got lore and the end of the Federation and all this stuff, and. The show's not good at this, and that's not why we watch this yeah. show, and that's why I think it feels like such a betrayal because you've done other things that worked as cliffhangers that were a lot more true to what you've been doing with the show in the past few years than this is. Even as big – I mean, hell, Chain of Command even was a big cliffhanger, but it was still about the characters and, and true to the characters in a way that this isn't. Um, Best of Both Worlds was a big budget, you know, Borg action movie, and yet it was all about the characters and their decisions. And 
I'm really sad that they ruined Data. I mean, if you want to... Yeah, I mean, it's not great. If you want to do sort of an off-brand season-ending cliffhanger, why not have Brian and Braga write it? You know, like, maybe he's not good at that. I don't know. But it seems like they were trying to go for something different, but where they ended up with was a parody of itself in a way. Hmm. And, you know, frankly, that's not great. I just... Going the in, sons of Sung. This does, yeah, this doesn't make me optimistic about going into the last season of the show. Yeah. And the seventh season of the show is certainly not terrible. It's got some really fine episodes in it. Uh, but this is not a good way to go into this. And this is different in a way that Time's Arrow... This is bad in a way that Time's Arrow even wasn't because... Time's Arrow was sort of incompetently plotted and just boring and, and just kind of... I found of, it funny and ridiculous and everyone was wearing different outfits. Well, I'm thinking about Time's Arrow, not Time's Arrow Part 2. Oh. Um, but, mm. but you know, this is just bad in a very different way, which just seems like a betrayal of what the show has been about uh, to, to a way that Time's Arrow never did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Time's Arrow was boring or whatever, but it, it wasn't this bad. Yeah. But Dr. Crusher is in charge of the Enterprise, so that's something. I mean, good for her. Why isn't uh, she on the field mission? Because she has special ops training and Troy taking the command? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Also, Troy has been in charge of the Enterprise before. Like, really, this is who you have? <laughs> the doctor? Like, maybe she should be in sick bay instead? I don't know. I'm Because you're going to be sending everybody down to a planet? <laughs> and I'm sure some people are going to be coming up hurt? You know, I, it's just... I don't know. It feels like the the like it just everybody involved in this episode just like has amnesia. I just or remember in the early seasons, any time like Picard wanted to go for a walk, he had to ask Riker's permission, and now he's going on an away mission to the Borg, to the fucking Borg. Sure, why not? It's not not like he's you know was, ever it, been captured and tortured and you know by the Borg before. No, yeah, yeah. It's not like the Borg would have a special interest in recapturing him. No. Well, apparently these Borg don't, so yeah. there we are. We'll, we'll find out what happens next week with the Sun Part 2, I guess. Um, I give this episode... Three? Two. I don't know two what. Two, two for Hugh. There you go. I wanted to see Hugh again. Maybe you will. Oh, I don't think I want to see him anymore now. <laughs> All right. Well, if you uh, agree or disagree with us, please leave a comment on the post for this episode. I think Descent is the best episode ever. Delete. At trekaboutshow.com. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash trekaboutshow. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekaboutshow. And the best way to help the show, leave us a positive iTunes review. Next week, we enter the seventh and final season of Star Trek The Next Generation. I wonder if I'm going to start recognizing episodes because I know I watched a lot of this seventh season when it was on. We'll find out. We're talking about Descent Part 2. And liaisons. Ooh. Which sounds sexy, but isn't. Uh. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>